0: We listen for God to speak to us this morning, reading from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of His glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you're being rooted and grounded in love. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. So the phone rings in my office, and someone else in our church has COVID, and a family member is calling. Asking if I could pray and if we would put this person on the church prayer list. A person shows up at church from the congregation who's struggling with some mental health issues. They need to talk. I talk with them, counsel them the best I can. Try to provide some comfort and support. And almost inevitably then they ask, can we pray and would you put me on the church prayer list? Almost every week here, someone in the congregation or related to the congregation passes away, and we hear from the family letting us know of the death and the request for the church to be in prayer for them as they navigate this grief. Situations like this never end. There are always people in need of prayer, in need of support, We have an intercessory prayer team here at the church composed of about 100 people who have agreed to receive all these concerns every week and lift them afresh. Pray for these people by name or for their family members, for the needs that they have lift them before God. And pray and pray and pray to help people navigate the difficult times of life. In this section of this letter to the Ephesians, Paul is praying for others. He's praying for good things to happen to them. Sometimes Paul's praying for specific things or writing about specific problems in different churches. But in this particular section, he's praying for all the Christians and for good things to happen for them. He says he's down on his knees, bowed in prayer, lifting up these people in his prayers. There's five specific experiences he's praying for them to have. I want us to take a look at each of those briefly. In verse 16, he begins by saying, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, God's glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit. Could you use more power in your inner being through the movement of the Holy Spirit? Or do you know someone that could use a little extra power through the strengthening of the Holy Spirit? I would say pray for them that they might know this experience of the Holy Spirit strengthening them from within. And if you don't know anybody else to pray for like that, pray for me. I could use all of your prayers. There's the old saying where there's power in the pulpit is because there is prayer in the pew. Or for these teachers, have you paid attention to what's going on in education The teachers need our prayers. They don't always get the support they need, but we could support them by our gestures of love and care and support and words of encouragement. Pray for others, Paul says, that they might have this experience of the Holy Spirit strengthening them from within. Oh, Paul's just getting started, that seems like a lot, but then he goes on to say, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is not just a passing glance at our Savior or coming to church for an hour and forgetting about it the rest of the week. Paul's praying that we might know Christ in every moment of our living. That Christ might dwell, might live, might abide in our hearts so that we know that christ is with us always the founder of the methodist movement john wesley had a covenant prayer he used on occasions to help sort of revive people and remind them of their commitments so that christ might dwell in their hearts i put a portion of it in the outline he starts the prayer to christ we pray let me be your servant And then the prayer goes on to talk about all the ways we can yield our lives to God and yield all things to Christ. And with a willing heart, follow Christ's commands. Are you ready to follow the commands of Christ in every part of your life, in every day of your living? Are you ready to open yourself and listen For that Christ that's dwelling in your heart, leading you into the future, guiding you, showing you the way. That's what Paul's praying for these early Christians. It's maybe a good prayer for us as well. But then he goes on in the second half of that 17th verse. And says in this prayer, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. So he's prayed that Christ might be with them. That would give them passion. But Paul knows all too well that passion sometimes turns into persecution and terror. Because if all we have is Christ and passion, often our actions are based on being right or righteous. And often that leads into attack of others, putting down others. Paul says, oh no. Let your passion be rooted and grounded in love. And you probably remember the word that's used here for love from the Greek agape. Meaning to do the good or will the good of the other so paul is praying that you know christ and you have a passion about that in every moment of your living but that the way it moves out into the world is through this agape love of doing good and willing the good for someone else paul goes on to add in verse 18 this fourth petition of the prayer i pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul was a man who was zealous for his faith, but before he knew Christ, he was a persecutor. He was hunting for those who had encountered Christ and they were claiming it changed their life and their way of living he's trying to arrest them and put them in prison but then he encounters christ and everything changes for him and he's no longer persecuting those who are followers of christ he becomes a follower himself and says he's chief among the sinners, but that Christ has changed his life, and he wants to proclaim this love of Christ, and he spends the rest of his life going about that. But did you notice how in his prayer he's combining head and heart at our best when we're living lives of faith? We combine head and heart together, our passion and our reason, our love and our action So that God is working through us. So that we have experienced this love of God. And then we share it with others as we go about our daily lives. And then finally, in verse 19, Paul's coming to the end of this prayer. And he gets to that phrase, so that. He's prayed all these petitions, so that you may be filled with. With all the fullness of God, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you ever think about what your life would be like if it was filled with all the fullness of God? I think it might shape or reshape some of our decisions, some of our behaviors. I don't know, it might affect some of our ethics, some of our decisions we're making might help clarify our purpose, might direct or redirect our energies and our efforts as we go through life. What would your life look like if you knew you were filled with the fullness of God? Would you be doing anything differently? Would your experience in life be different? If you knew you were filled with the fullness of God. I don't know for sure what that would look like for you, but Paul gives us some clues in this prayer. I have put them in your outline. I think he says that we would have an inner strength powered by the Spirit. Christ would be at the center of our lives, which would be rooted and grounded in love that wills and lives, offering good to others. We would have such faith that we've been blessed to receive the love of Christ that surpasses common understanding and therefore fills us, fills us with the fullness of God. When I talk to people from time to time in pastoral counseling situations, often they're really struggling. When I lift up what can happen for them with a life in Christ, they often say, I, I, I don't even think that would ever happen for me. They think it's somehow too grand or too majestic for them to even aspire to. But Paul says, wait, that would be a mistake to think that way because he says this is not reliant on your efforts alone. Listen to what he says in those last two verses we read. He says, now to him, that is now to God who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is not just a prayer for those first century Christians in Ephesus Paul's praying this for us, for all generations, for any followers of Christ Jesus. He's promising in this prayer that God can do far more than you might ask or imagine because you're not doing this alone. The Christian life is not a solo enterprise. This is not going it alone. This is not you trying to be perfect. This is the path. Of opening yourself to the experience of spiritual power power from outside of you which is bubbling up inside of you it's the divine love and grace that God offers all all of us it's God's ongoing work within us Paul says that shapes us and forms us evermore into the image of and likeness of Christ. I want to close by telling you a story of a person I know who's had this experience of spiritual power. I've mentioned him to you before. He is a member here. His name is Richard Glossop. He's been on death row for 25 years. He was convicted of a murder that I believe he did not commit. He has maintained his innocence since the very beginning. Channel 8, which broadcast our services, broadcast all the way to McAllister. He began to worship with us via our worship broadcast. Then he began to write to me, and I wrote back. Then he asked if he could be a member of the church. So I got in the car and drove to McAllister. I wanted to meet this person on death row. Who was maintaining his innocence that wanted to be a member of our church? We had a several hour conversation. I found him to be a man of great faith. I took him into the church that day. He's been a part of our life ever since then. He writes to me from time to time. His faith faced three different times an execution date where he got within hours of his life being taken by our state one time just within minutes before he received a stay i think he's innocent some of our state legislators have come to the same conclusion they commissioned an independent law firm to do a study and you know what they have come up with it's 350 pages long but basically they say this case was mishandled from the beginning that evidence was lost, that evidence was destroyed, that there is another man who committed the murder, and yet Richard Glossop has an execution date set now for September 22nd. His legal team has filed for an evidentiary hearing because of the new evidence with our state criminal court of appeals. I'm hoping and praying that they will see the evidence and rule and find him innocent. But I wanna read to you a few of the things he's written me about his faith during this time of incarceration. He wrote in 2015, not long before one of my execution days, I was asked by a reporter how I would be going into the chamber. I told them I would dance all the way there. It caught them by surprise. They said they didn't expect that because of my innocence. I told them, I believe that life is a gift from God. And I know that he wanted us to have a happy and fulfilled life. I have lived each day to its fullest, even in this situation, Richard writes. I said that I believe in God. I believe in every word that he has spoken. He has promised a resurrection. And I have no doubt that it will happen. I wanted to dance to that chamber because I know that what he has in store for me is even greater than this wonderful life he has already given me. I also believe that everything is possible with God. On the day of my execution, I was in with my attorneys. They broke down and cried as they said they were so very sorry. I looked at them and told them not to worry that I would talk to them later that day. They said, you believe that, don't you? I told them that it's not my time yet, that God has more for me to do. Richard relates how he was alone in his room praying and how he had this sense of calm from God come over him. Even as they were taking all the things out of his room, They told him they will come get him in a few minutes and take him to the death chamber. But then he writes, minutes turned into hours. And then a man I had never seen before came to my door and told me that I had been given a stay. God saved me not once, but three times. And in doing so, he gave me a new purpose. And in the process, he changed the hearts of two atheists, one a friend, one one of my attorneys. So this I say to all, no matter what we face in this life, if we trust and believe in God with all our hearts and we pray with sincerity, knowing that he is listening, then we will be given peace and strength to deal with anything. Amen, and thanks be to God.